Now, some of you may not know this, but I am actually a very confident water skier. <laughs> That's right. I can actually quite accomplished at slalom water skiing. Woo-hoo! That's like one ski. <whistles> Not like that. <whistles> and the reason isn't so much all the hours that you probably should put in to get very good at this or the fact that I naturally look like the ideal water skier, slalom skier. They're not, they're not the reasons. The reason I am adequate at water skiing is the generosity of some of our friends. When we used to live down in Melbourne, down in Victoria, every weekend when it looked like it wasn't going to rain or be freezing or have hail, so four days a year, our friends would call us and say, do you want to come out water skiing with us? And there was a river just up the road and we'd say, sure. And when it started, we'd never water ski, we'd never clue what we're doing. But by the time we'd spent numerous hours on the water, we'd become quite accomplished. That then grew to when holidays came around or long weekends, they'd say, we're going up to Bonnie Doon, the Bonnie Doon, if you've seen the castle. We're going to Bonnie Doon, we're going to Bonnie Doon. Oh man. And we used to go there and stay in their caravan with them and go out on the lake water skiing. And then that kind of grew to the point where they said, look, if you ever want to use this caravan, come up, have some time here by yourself, do that. And then they say, in fact, if you want to borrow the boat, you can borrow the boat to go fishing or skiing or do whatever you like, whenever you like. All you need to do is ask. They had this dangerous generosity. It was this radical generosity that they lived with. And what was wonderful about it is that we were not the only recipients. It's not like we somehow had this special past. Everybody they knew was kind of the same deal. If we can pour out our lives to you, if we can give to you, if you can um, share in the joy that we've found, we want you to experience that. They live this dangerous, radical generosity. Now, one of the, light, the final principle that I spoke about last week, if you were here, maybe you've been able to listen to it on the podcast if you haven't, because all the sermons are online now. You can find that through our website. Um, the last principle was dangerous generosity. How do we live with dangerous generosity? What does it look like? Which brings us to this afternoon's question. Is your generosity, let's just do a quick survey of your life, is your generosity what you would deem dangerous? Like a little bit risky, a little bit, oh, this... I could lose here. This might cost me a bit here. This isn't firm foundation that I'm giving out of. You see, generosity is the key to making the most of what God gives us. God is a generous God who gives us so much and generosity is, is stepping into the space where we enjoy not just what God has given us but the heart of God. We, we reclaim that. We get to relive it. We get to pour that out for others. The Bible is dripping in wisdom about generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. They who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's this cool like exchange that Scripture talks about that, that when you refresh somebody else, somehow you too are refreshed. When you serve somebody else, somehow you get to be served in that space. When you better somebody else's life, somehow your life is bettered. It's this spiritual principle that result, revolves around dangerous generosity. The other day, um, we've got a new neighbour and we're very excited about this. We've got a new neighbour that's moved in. His name's Luke. 
hopefully you'll get to meet him at some stage. But Luke's pretty cool. Um, and the other day I walked past his place and he, he's got large hedges and he was cutting them with some secretary, like some um, uh, shears. And, and by, the, I, by the time I got there, he'd been out there for a little bit because it was hot and he was sweaty and his progress wasn't what you would call incredible, right? There was a few bits here and he was just snipping away with this and I walked up and I said, hey, how, how's it going? I've got a hedge trimmer. Do you want to borrow my hedge trimmer? That was like I offered him a million bucks. He was just like, really? Oh, that would be amazing. I said, just go here. So when I got the hedge trimmer and, it, and he smashed that out. I don't know, 20 minutes later he comes back. He said, that would have taken me a couple of days, but it's all done. I said, he goes, now I've, got to, now I've just got to get a mower and cut the grass. I said, I've got a mower. Do you want to borrow the mower? He goes, no. I said, yeah, man. Like, just use it. Like, it's not, I don't want it here. If it's here, I have to cut my grass. I don't like cutting my grass. So take, take them off. I said, but what I found is if you whip a snip first, it's easier to mow. It looks nicer. Do you, do you need a whip a snip or two? And he thought all his Christmases had come at once. So he took the whip a snip away, he took the mower away, and he came back a couple of hours later, stoked. I've never seen someone so happy to have cut the grass. But he's just moved in. I think it was like the finishing touch to like, all right, now the house is kind of set up and the garden's done. He goes, I've got to get myself one of these. I said, man, it's, this gets used... Once every, can I, preachers lie? Once every month. It doesn't really, does it? Whatever, two months. Well, this gets used not on a regular basis. The hedge trimmer just comes out to cut that thing. I said, man, any time you want to use these things, just, just use them. Like, it doesn't matter when or whatever, just, just use them. And he was so taken aback by that. It was as if it was a foreign language, as if like, hang on, that doesn't happen, it, it doesn't work. But I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, God's given us all this stuff. And, and like, it's not even any inconvenience. It's not, please use it as much as you can. You see, giving renews something in us. When you get to do that, I went in and I was chatting to Lindell about it. I'm sure he went home. He was stoked he got to cut the grass. I was more stoked that I got to be generous in that it renews something of the image of God in us. But we can sometimes find ourselves fearful, right? What if the mower breaks? What if he breaks my prized whippersnipper? What if the hedge trimmer just conks out as a result. What if it never comes back? What if he drops it and the battery doesn't work? And that's a massive inconvenience. What do, what do we do there? Um, and, and when we start thinking like that, when we start thinking, oh, am I going to lose? It means we don't think it's actually God's that we're lending. Because we lose, right? But if it's God, well, God loses, right? And that's God's problem to work out how he fixes our thing or gets us a new thing back because that's how he wants us to work. Jesus said, freely you have received... It's all free. You didn't do anything to earn the breath in your lungs, all the things you have. Like it's just a blessing upon blessing, so give out of it. Freely give. Give with the generosity of God. He said those words to his disciples as they're about to go on a mission that was categorised by generosity. It's in Matthew 10. And on and, and the things they did, there's so many expressions of the generosity of, and grace of God. They lived counterculturally in this dangerous, dangerously generous way. This life that we each get to enjoy, that's a gift from God and it was given generously and dangerously to us. And so why would we not go, oh, be benefited from my life? Our salvation was dangerously, generously given to us. 
that God would give up his self, he would die on a cross, that we might have that. To not, not tuck away and hold away and go, this suits and serves me, but to give away. Because we know in the giving away, God replenishes God gives. He sets up communion so that we get hungry and we come back, so we get thirsty and we come back. God is expecting us to give ourselves away in whatever shape and form that takes on because he wants to refill us, he wants to meet us again and fill us. Dangerous generosity says God has given to me and therefore I need to steward everything I have so that I give the same way I think God would give. I do with my stuff the same things I think God would do with my stuff. Which is the question a devout Jewish man who faced Jesus was pondering some 2,000 years ago. In Mark chapter 10 this story unfolds and if you've been reading, if you've been reading the Bible for the last year this will be familiar. It's in three of the four Gospels but I'm sure you'll be familiar with this story. As Jesus started on his way a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, right? That's a smart question to ask someone that you think might be the Messiah. The original Greek translates this into what mitzvah, and mitzvah was this good deed, it was one grand good deed. What good deed can I do to obtain eternal life? So this guy rushes up to Jesus and says, just give me the answer. What's the answer? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He was after the game changer. The one deed that was good enough to secure his eternal destiny. To shore it all up. And so Jesus' answer is very obscure. Jesus does not answer the way we would want him to or hope he would. He says, why do you call me good? We go, Jesus, you're not, you're not listening not what we want to talk about. We want to talk about this good deed. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is actually doing in this is he's pointing to the fact that only God is good enough. That no mitzvah, that no good deed will ever be enough. There's no good you can do an amount you can amass to ever be good enough. So it leads, he's leading this man to this realisation of, hang on, what's, what's the measurement scale I'm operating on? Because Jesus continues, he says, do you know the commandments? And he knew that the man knew the commandments, he was a Jewish man, so of course he knew the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honour your father and your mother. The law, you see, was God's measuring stick for good enough. When Jesus replaced Jesus replaced that through the cross. Jesus became the measuring stick. So when God looks at us, he measures us, not what we did with the law, but what we did with Jesus. And that's how God understands and sees us as Jesus replaced that. That's good news. Right? That's the gospel. That's the, all that matters is what we do with Christ, following Christ. It no longer becomes about doing enough good. Teacher, he says, thinking he's won the lottery, He says, all those laws I've kept, even since I was a boy. That's what he's saying, when the very first I understood about these laws, I've kept them, I've I've held to them. The guy is perfect. He's perfect. He has it all. He's rich in God. But Jesus is on the hunt to show him that what he's placed his security in cannot save him. 
That's what Jesus is trying to unwrap and unfold here. And he kind of leads this guy to a point of going, yeah, I am pretty secure in what I can do, in how good I am, in everything I have. And so Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, just like one thing. And you can hear the disciples go, what? I wonder what the one thing is, because this guy's pretty good. What's the one thing? And then Jesus drops this, says, just sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you will then have treasure in heaven and follow me. No biggie. He's keen for that. That's one big mitzvah, right? That's one big deed. Just sell everything. In saying that, the man would have realised in an instant where his security was. His security wasn't in God, it wasn't in Jesus, it was in how much stuff he had and how good he was at getting that stuff. He discovers that his security is in money and financial wealth and and financial freedom. That, That he is clinging onto them more than he's clinging onto what God can bring him. And as I was putting this together, I realised I was like that once. When I was a young adult, so, so I was in the past my teenage years, I was a young adult, I sat with a friend and we taught a Bible study to young, young people and my friend shared about this thing called tithing. So you may know what that is. It's giving 10% of your um, income to God um, through church shopping. And he was teaching about this um, and as he taught, something dawned on me. And that which dawned on me is that for years I'd been in church and I'd seen him pass that little felt bucket bag thing passed. I'd seen it come past. I'd seen the envelopes that had everyone's number on so somebody could track who was giving and who wasn't. I'd, I'd, I'd thought about that. That's supposed to be weird because I never bring the right amount of money to put in the envelope and I always lose the envelope. I'm not sure. And there had been zero conviction that I should ever give anything to the church whatsoever. Like zero. And so I'm sitting here with this in my, in, going on for me going, huh, wow, Chris, my mate, takes this really seriously. He's really got a good handle on this. And he he was talking all about how he um, works out how much he's going to get paid and before it gets taxed, he's going to take 10% of that, he's going to direct debit to the church. And I'm like, oh, that's a really clever idea. Because then you don't have to worry about the envelopes, you don't have to worry about forgetting. It's like, oh, that's really, really interesting. But then he said... He said, the difference giving back has made in my life is incalculable. And I was sitting there going, what? Like, yeah, you give because that's what you should do. It's a good thing to do, right? Yeah, you should give in your offering because you look stingy if that thing comes past and you don't put anything in it. You should give because, well, you're part of the church and you should help. That's, that's, that's why. And he, he was saying, tithing helps me realise that my life is not about me. And when he said those those words, my world was kind of rocked a little bit. And I was co-leading with him, right? All the kids. I was co-leading. So that's one of the main reasons why I want to talk about stewardship on a regular basis as part of village. Because money can grab hold of part of what Jesus deserves. Our security that we want to put in Christ is so easily swayed toward our financial um, position and how secure we are and all of that. But when, when, when we take our money from, what we put our, from, from finding security in, in, in whatever that may be and we actually give it to God, it frees something in us. It makes us so dependent on God. It makes us so connected to God. God, you, 
Like, I, I, I've given dangerously. I've given to the point where it actually starts to hurt. And this is no longer a, oh, yeah, I can spare that. But now, God, I want to I do this with you. So Chris is talking all about this. And my, I was convicted. I felt this conviction that I had to do it. So I, I went home and I set up a direct debit and started direct debiting the thing and I haven't stopped since. That was when I was like, oh, I don't know, I must have been 21, 22, something like that. And I'm now 40 and a bit. And, and every week or month or whatever it is, it comes straight out. And so the way I think about all the money we have come in is minus the bit that I want to make sure is secure with God. See, when, when it, I was convicted because I realised in that moment that my security was not fully in Christ. That one of the things that needed to be converted, if you like, was my wallet or, or my bank account. But when I moved my security from my finances to God, my heart followed. Giving is cool like that, Right? You give to things that are really important. If you want something to be really important, you give to it and your heart follows. It's weird how that works. That's what Jesus was asking of this man. Jesus was saying, for you to be ready to inherit eternal life, you must know the heart of God. And, and you're, you're the gap, the block between you knowing the heart of God is you don't know the generosity of God. You don't know how, to, how for God to be close because you're so self-reliant. And the quickest way to relocate your security from the temporary, which is money, to the eternal, which is Jesus, is to give. He says, give it, give it all away. Why do you need it? All you need is me. Give it all away. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And we look at that and we go, yeah, but hang on. That leap is massive. What Jesus is asking there, that leap is colossal. But it's held in the smallest of decisions. And that's this kingdom paradox. That God can do huge things in our lives when we make the smallest of decisions. You see, Jesus wanted to free this man from the stranglehold wealth clearly had on his life. All that wealth was denying him from, Jesus wanted to bring into his life. Jesus wanted to liberate him from the worry and the greed and the pursuit of of money that was just dominating his heart. Jesus wanted this man to understand that his money, when put in God's hands, would have a better outcome. He wanted to show the man that no one grand gesture could secure him eternal life. But following Jesus could. And he knew the block that this man had to following Jesus was his money. In my experience over the years, it's, it's the hardest thing, it's so hard to give away money. We become so attached to it, we plan around it, we need it. Our dreams and things can get attached to it. There's a story of a man who came to Peter Marshall, who was the former chaplain of the United States Senate, and he had some concern about tithing, about giving 10% away. He says, I have a problem. I've been tithing for quite some time. It wasn't too bad when I was making $20,000 a year. I could afford to give $2,000 a year. But you see, now I'm making $500,000. And there is just no way I can afford to give away $50,000 a year. Says this to the chaplain. Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma. Didn't give him any advice. Instead, he said, "I I can see the problem. 
can I pray for you? To which the man was surprised, but agreed. And so, Marshall then prayed the following prayer. He said, Dear Lord, this man has a problem and I pray that you will help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to give. It's such a small decision. It's such a small decision of dangerous generosity that can change the way we relate to Jesus. It changes how much we need Jesus. It changes how we think about Jesus. It frees us to know more of Jesus. But also, it can change the way others encounter Jesus. It is missional. That's what's before us today at Village. A chance to place our security in Christ and pour ourselves out for God and pour ourselves out for Burley because of the love God has placed in us for those who don't know Jesus yet. It's a chance to financially invest in some improvements that will bless those God will bring. To financially invest and make this property even more conducive to people engaging with Jesus. To financially invest in future salvations of people that we're currently praying for. To trust in Christ. So what small decision is before you that might further the ideas God has placed on our hearts. So, village is your home. I think looking around, we'd say village is is all of our homes. We've handed out letters, you've read the letters, you've seen the emails, heard all the preaching, we've prayed, we've been challenged, we've been informed, and now it's time to commit. And this is important because village needs to know how much it can spend. So, So, it's not... It's helpful, but not how you would think, to just go, oh, this bit doesn't matter, I'll just make a deposit. The problem with making a deposit is that will go into a running cost of village because we won't know how much we can actually spend on developing the place. We can't sort of dip into our running costs because that will mean we can't run anymore, right? So there's a form, a slip, on each of the tables which you've emailed out, which you've had, which enables you an opportunity to say, yep, I want to give on a regular basis and I, I want to give this much and you don't need to put the, the total amount but if you want to increase it or you haven't been giving anything and you want to put it, that will help us budget through the year about what that might look like. And then the other aspect is, what do you want to give to a bunch of the changes that we've talked about heaps? They're little tiny changes but at the moment we don't have the freedom to be able to do that. And so what we'd love you to do today, if you're ready to do that, is to fill in those gaps. Now, if you're thinking, I'm still not ready or uh, we should have had this conversation but we haven't had it yet, that's totally cool. Like we can, it doesn't happen that, we'd love for it to happen today, it's kind of been building for today but there's, it's not a cut off. You're like, okay, no more giving. No, it's not like that at all. Um, but what we would love you to, to do is take this space now as I just chat to think, yep, what I want that to be, and maybe you've done it already, um, and to place that in the box. So the two, two important things, the very essential things, is you use that piece of paper to tell us, because then we'll be able to know and budget, and then that you follow it up with a financial transaction. That's very, very important, because otherwise it, that's disastrous, of saying, well, this much is going to give, and then nothing's given. Um, so as you think about that, I want to share a story that happened today. Um, Lyndall and I were chatting, um, and Hamish came in, I said, Hank, come here. I've got a really important question for you. At Village, we're talking about giving. Now, Hamish is three. 
Um, how much do you think we should give to, to the development of the property? And he thought for a minute and he said, 100 billion dollars. <laughs> so I was, we were kind of like, oh, this is heading in the right direction and then it took a really, really bad turn. So we had to, we had to let him down because believe it or not, we don't have a couple of hundred billion dollars just lying around that we could give. But what we, it causes lots of really interesting conversations, both internal and with those that we live with our budgets and what that looks like. And it's meant to, because it's meant to say, God, I want you to be part of these conversations. Dwell in this. Help me navigate this way forward. There is no right or wrong way to give. It's responding to the grace of God and what God is inviting you to do and, 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 and making that happen. And so Lyndall and I, we, we had some conversation, minus Hamish, um, and came to the point of, yeah, we think, think this, is, this is what we should do. And, and Lyndall said, are we sure? And my immediate response is, yeah, it feels dangerous enough. And that's where we want to move to with our faith, right? That, ah, oh, this is, this, this hurts a little bit. This is a little bit taxing. This is, this is a challenge. This is dangerous. This isn't safe. Because we want our marriage and we want our faith to reside in that space where there's just a big gap for God to do stuff rather than just a little margin around our lives. So I say all that. I invite you to, to we're just going to spend a few moments, you might want to pick up the form, you might have already done it. What's going to happen with that form? If you're like, okay, what do I do with it? Place it in the red box at the back. So afterwards, just stick it in the red box. Um, if, you haven't, if you don't want to do it now and you want to do it later on, that's completely fine. Or, or if you're happy just to have a chat with me again or Karen, that's completely fine too. We're not interested individually how much people um, give. What we're interested in is what God can do with what we as a church give him to do in this place. Um, and there's some really exciting things as we've kind of all covered. So we might move into our, our last song, I think. I'm going to pray um, and uh, yeah, we'll just give this time to God. Lord, sometimes giving is, is just one of the hardest things to do. And so I pray now by the grace and the gen- generosity of your spirit you would speak to us. You would reaffirm figures in our hearts. You would, you would teach us what they are. You would lead us to more understanding about that. You would give us a peace and a security around that. That, Lord, your will and your purposes will be done in our lives. That's what we want. And we realise money is just a large part of, of what it means to live. And so, Lord, we bring that before you. We give that to you. We ask you to do your will in ways where we have maybe previously before stepped away from. We invite you into that space now, Lord. And we just pray for village. Lord, that your will would reside here. Your love would reside here. That the invitations we offer people would, would receive and would come to this place. That you would call us out beyond these walls to meet people in the places where they are at. That we would see your kingdom advance. We'd be part of just this this wellspring of life that you want to unleash in Burley. And so, Lord, guide us in that and hold us in that and keep us in that, we pray. Amen.